The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our fortress, our strength and our salvation, our very hope and our very help. We pray this through Christ our Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and then had a wait what moment? You read it? And you, wait, what? <laughs> ah. That the translation must be wrong is the comment from the peanut gallery. Um, this passage, and, and really the next two Sundays after this, have left me like Lou Costello trying to figure out who's on first. Oh, look, there's who. He's on first base. That's funny. I don't care who you are. It's okay. I'll be here all day. At least until noon. So understanding, yeah, let's go back to that pretty picture. Leave all that rotten humor behind. Understanding this passage um, has, has been has required study and effort this week. Um, all that I could find to read, all, all, all that I could pray and meditate about. So let's, let's get to work. Some things have happened from last week. By the way, I listened to Pastor Ruby's sermon from last Sunday, and oh my. <laughs> I wanted to say, Pastor Ruby, you were kind of hard on the children last week, weren't you? <laughs> no more minimum standards. Wow. I wonder if she was walking on my toes too. Probably. Our context has changed. Just before this, Jesus was in a semi-private situation at supper inside a house. And now, Jesus and the disciples are back on the road, headed towards Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so there are crowds and crowds of people all traveling along the road. Now, these people love a parade just like we do, right? Is there anybody that doesn't love a parade? So they're parading into Jerusalem. I, I saw one hand go back. <laughs> I don't. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. It's always one. Um, <laughs> it's usually me. But <laughs> they're traveling to Jerusalem and, and preparing for this great feast that reminds them and helps them re-remember. The, the, the technical term that we use when we celebrate Eucharist is anamnesis. It, it, it's that part where we retell the story of the Last Supper. And it's re-remembering, remembering in a way that places us there at the time of the actual event. It's, it's entering into God's time or Kairos time. So they're, they're on the way to remember that God delivered them from slavery and set them free. 
while they are living under foreign occupation of their promised land. You know where they're going in that parade? With this great new teacher who's, who's, who's been working for three years? They're going to Jerusalem to depose Rome and set Jesus up as the new king. That frames the context of Christ's words. They are filled with enthusiasms. They are ready to go. And Jesus' response and instructions are in contrast to their hopes. The crowds are oblivious to the truth that the cross lies before Jesus and his followers. So Jesus speaks, one of the comment, several of the commentators reminded me back of my English classes, and I didn't like it for it, but they did. I had to look it up. Jesus is using hyperbole here. Not my wheelhouse of subject matters, but, but I can be retaught. And speaking in hyperbole, he uses the biggest, most vivid imagery he could. And in and, and the Semitic languages, the word hate is different than it is for us. If someone today uses that word, it is filled usually with anger and emotion, and it's all mostly negative. For Jesus, in the Semitic language, it was not filled with any of that. It was simply a turning away from a destructive behavior in order to turn towards a constructive behavior. It was turning away from what is not the single most priority in order to turn towards the most important single thing there is in life. Similar to the word for repentance, repentance being sorrow expressed by changed behavior, changed behavior is what we turn towards when we say hate. So we're turning, turning away from family, even life, we have to put that in the context of the greater message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, love your enemies. <laughs> now he says, hate your mom and pop. Wait, what? I don't understand. So in the network of our multiplicity of loyalties, anybody have more than one thing pulling on them at any one time? Anybody have two or three or five or ten or limitless things pulling on us all at one time? What Jesus is pointing out and trying to help us clarify is that the single most important thing in life is our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. You remember the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, and the next one is like it, love who? your neighbor like you love yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and, and it's in light of our relationship with Jesus Christ that redefines every other relationship that we have. That is, in falling in love with Jesus completely, head over heels in love with Jesus, assists us, equips us, and helps us to fall head over heels in love 
with the whole world for the purpose of sharing the good news that others might fall head over heels in love with Jesus. Some notes about cross-bearing. Cross-bearing language has been corrupt by overuse. It has nothing to do with chronic illness or painful physical conditions or even trying family relationships. We cannot say of our brothers and sisters, of our aunts and uncles, of our nephews and nieces, there are cross-eyed bears. Lane <laughs> just got it. Lane just got it. Cross-bearing, cross-bearing is what we do voluntarily because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What we do voluntarily because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, anybody like football in Texas? When Holly and I were first married, we were attending a university in the state where football is king still to this day. Reigns supreme over most everything else, like many universities. And um, at that particular university, they feel the need for the student body to stand in the hot summer sun throughout the entire football game. You can sit when the other band is on the field, but when the fight in Texas Aggie band hits the field, you better be standing up. <laughs> Whoop. Checking to see who's an Aggie. And I started pastoring in June in 1988. And I made two football games that season because standing in the hot sun in the afternoon on Saturday wiped me out for Sunday morning. And I had no energy. And nobody in my congregation said, son, maybe you should skip that football game and watch it from the comfort of your living room on the television. But I knew after worship each Sunday morning that I needed to be more attentive to my physical needs so that I could be more attentive to the congregation's spiritual needs. What we do, and, and, and football's football now to me. It's okay. Um, it's great. No harm, no foul. You love football? Great. Love it. Do you love Jesus? Then love Jesus. What Christ is teaching us is that it is perspective and focus and clarity of purpose in life that leads us to deeper life. And it's not just individual. Oh, this is the cross that I bear. It, 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 it's what we do as a community of faith. Anybody like working all morning long? In the hot summer sun outside, building beds. I mean, I mean, I mean, is is do you just want to go and sand and sand and sand until you let go of the sander and your hand still vibrates for four more hours and you're covered in dust from head to toe? Is that anybody's idea of fun? Like, there's one. There's always one. But we do that as a community of faith because we partner with Sleep in Heavenly Peace and say that no child in our town will sleep on the floor. So, so then Jesus talks about twin parables, fools at work and war. One commentary said fools at work and war and said count the cost before you start the project. And then he reminds us 
of our ultimate loyalty to God and not to our possessions because everything comes from God, everything belongs to God, and everything and everyone returns to God. There's not anything that as a congregation we possess that God didn't provide and that God doesn't want to use to to increase and multiply faith upon the earth. I guess where I come down on this passage is that we're called to a life of continued transformation. I saw a meme on the Facebook this week that said, I'm not the one I yet hope to be. I'm not yet the one God has called me to be, but by God's grace, I'm not the one I used to be. Continued transformation. So discipleship then is a process in that we are being made perfect in love. Jesus said, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus knows we're not going to get there in the next 20 minutes, right? So what do we do? We make progress. Well, I think that I found a, a, a little bit of hope, a little bit of help, and a whole lot of hallelujah in this passage. And if you're willing to bear with me for a minute or two more, I'll try to help you see what I've come to see. A little bit of hope. God is not finished with us yet. Paul wrote to the Philippians, I am confident of this. Help me out. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. God's not through with us yet. God intends to continue working in us and on us and through us all the days of our life. So each day we can say, okay, God, what are we going to work on today? Okay, God, and and don't ask about what God's going to work on tomorrow. You're not ready for it. (laughs) I'm not either. Let's Let's just work on today. So God's not done with us. God's not going to give up on us, and God's going to keep working through us. Where we have to be in order for that to happen is in the place of willingness in the place of relinquishedness, letting go and letting God. I need a little bit of help with that. (laughs) I might need more than a little bit of help with that. Thankfully, there's a monastery just four hours down the road instead of 14 hours down the road. I went there a couple weeks ago, and at Vespers on Tuesday night, they read 1 Corinthians 13, the appointed reading for that hour. And as I, as I sat with that through the evening, it, it, I was led to it, to take the love is not, 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 all the knots, and reframe them positively. And this is what came out. Love is, help me, patient, kind, content, humble, pure, accepting, yielding, calm, forgiving, true. Bearing, believing, hoping, enduring all things for the sake of Christ, all because God's love never, ever ends. Wow! You see, this is the very love that God loves us. 
It's that love that we see lived in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's that love that we're expressing and receiving here as sisters and brothers in Christ. And if you need help with that love, ask. One of the great things about having this whole book is, is that when we read one passage, we can connect it to find something in another passage, and we remember from our study of James last fall that James told us, God says, we don't have it because we don't ask for it. And, and we don't have it because when we ask, we don't believe. I mean, our instantaneous society, if I don't know anything, all I have to do is ask Google, and Google will tell me everything I ever wanted to know because they can't put it on the Internet if it wasn't true. We have become so impatient. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen when we ask God to recreate our genetic being and say, God, can I have a little patience? Because patience is listed among the fruit of the Spirit and not the gifts of the Spirit, God's going to provide an opportunity to grow, cultivate, nourish, nurture, and produce that fruit in ourselves. You see, patience is in part up to us. Kindness, contentedness, humility, purity, acceptance, yielding, calming, forgiving, truthfulness. Huh. Wait, those are all on that list that are in part up to us. And as we seek and desire to be more and more like Christ, we need to seek and desire to be more and more like this list of love. And I believe the God who loves us with this love loves us enough to help grow that love in us. Amen? So we've got a little bit of hope that God is not done with us. We've got a little bit of help that, that God loves us now we need a whole lot of hallelujahs. Say that word. Hallelujah. Can you frown? I mean, I suppose you could, but do you want to frown when you say that word? Say it again. Hallelujah. It is in Scripture the very highest form of praise of God. A literal translation reads, Praise ye Yah, the shortened version of YHWH Yahweh. In Greek, it's translated, Alleluia. It's the highest form of praise of God. So, so, with this call to continued transformation, all the days of our life, why praise God? Because that sounds like a whole lot of work. Doesn't it? Look at the chambered nautilus shell with me, if you will. When, when a nautilus is hatched, you see the very inner part of that circle? They have about four chambers. Only four. And throughout their life, a nautilus grows and creates the new chamber and seals off the former one. And it grows and it enters its new home and seals off its old home. And it grows and it enters its new home and it seals off its old home. It's continually transforming. You know what's cool about the Nautilus shell? 
it's a representation of the Fibonacci spiral. I had to look that up. It's fun to say. And, 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 and the Fibonacci spiral is based on the Fibonacci sequence, a sequence of numbers that is based on the first two being added to get the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. And it forms this perfect spiral. It's also related to the golden ratio. When we talk about photography and art and architecture, there's, there's a truth of space and alignment that is simply pleasing to the eye, and it happens naturally in all the world, even as it happens in the shell of the Nautilus. Who made that? God did. Psalm 139 says, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. Let's say that last part beginning at I praise you together. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. Anybody ever told you that today? You are fearfully and wonderfully made by the great God of heaven who, who made something called a perfect relationship and ratio that a guy named Fibonacci discovered, and it looks like that. Size and shape and ratio, form and function, all follow perfectly in that chambered Nautilus shell. And that's what God has planned for us. And I don't, I don't know about you, but if the God who created the Nautilus also created me, I've got more than a little bit of hope. And if, if, if the God who created that Nautilus created all of us, then I know we're brought together to provide each other more than just a little bit of help. And I hope and pray that it leads us to a whole lot of hallelujahs. Amen? Let's pray. Boldly we come to your throne, O God, knowing that you know us completely and you love us even more completely. And so we ask that you would have your way with us. You would indeed fulfill your will for our lives that we would be sanctified through and through, that we would be so filled with your presence and your spirit, our only motive and our only work would be your love. Make it so, please, for your sake and for the sake of sharing this love with all the world. We pray this through Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.